Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. I want to say that uh, the video that I'm going to play is not really a video, it's a music. When I grew up, we had a song that we sang every Friday night as we enter the Sabbath. I didn't find that one, and even if I found it, it would have been in Romanian and not been that useful to you. I found one that I love and I play occasionally. We played it last night as we entered the Sabbath. It is a song by Michelle Toombs. So just relax and listen to the words. Now lay aside all worldly care. And not just worldly care. Lay aside all care. 
There were a lot of moving pieces into this worship service today. And a lot of other things that I had to prepare for. I got some phone calls this morning. I began to be worried. And then I was driving. I was, the Lord spoke to me. You're playing this song at the beginning of your sermon. Now lay aside all cares. Including. What are you doing, Pastor Marius? What are you doing? What are you caring for? The worship service, Lord. This is my worship. So I had to surrender to him. Lay aside all cares. It's Sabbath time. A time of freedom. Welcome to the Middletown Summer Series. Sabbath in 3D. Sabbath in three dimensions. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Lord, we come to you this morning to thank you once again for the wonderful, wonderful day of Sabbath you have given us. And to give us, to give us a chance to open your word again and to teach us to present us to the reality of our lives and to give us a wake-up call. So, Lord, this weekend we celebrate freedom in the United States. So, Lord, I pray in the same way we will learn that Sabbath is a celebration of freedom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sabbath time, a time of freedom. Have you ever stopped to think what happened to our time? I mean, literally, seriously. Where is our time we're supposed to have and we don't have? You may say, what are you talking about, Pastor Marius? Well, did you know that in the 1950s, the economists, the scientists, the politicians were wondering what we're going to do with our extra time. With the advent of commercial flights, interstate traveling, automation in the assembly lines, lawnmowers, Fast food restaurants and microwaves. They were literally thinking what we're going to do. What we're going, we're going to have plenty of time. Plenty of extra time. You know, experts, experts really predicted that we're going to have so much time. We're going to be working 30-hour weeks. Maybe even 20-hour weeks. And that we would be overwhelmed with so much leisure time. The truth is, yes, we develop labor-saving devices that cut down time, and automation increased efficiency exponentially. We're supposed to have lots and lots of time, of free time, that is. Where is our extra time? What happened? I'm going to present you 
the reality of postmodern America. We traded all that promising, that promising leisure time in exchange for more work and greater pay so that we could afford to buy more and more products. In 1947, the average American adult spent $6,500 on material possessions, goods, and services. Today, adjusted to inflation, we spend more than twice. We spend a lot to get larger houses to fill it with twice as many appliances, cars, clothes, and televisions. And we're not, when we are not using our time to get money, we use our time to spend money. Compared to Europeans, Americans spend three to four times as many hours per year shopping. Shopping has become the primary use of leisure times. And then with a few remaining free hours, we run to big malls, new civic centers, where we spend our money on goods and services that we think and we hope will bring us peace, nourishment, and relief. Think about how we spend our summer vacations, if we're lucky to have them. So no more lazy, leisurely weeks of summer. No more long, warm nights sitting on the porch, walking in the park, or a simple picnic. Instead, we buy ourselves totally improved summers with boats, jet skis, rollerblades, mountain bikes, rafting trips, holiday world kingdom, Kentucky kingdom, all timed to never stop, not even for an instant. We're in bondage to our own lifestyle. It seems almost pathetic to suggest that we had such a great summer doing pretty much nothing at all, right? Who can brag about that? Instead of taking the benefits of our modern technological civilization in a form of time, we converted the benefits in form of cash. And this lack of time, this famine of time, if you will, created consequences in our personal, our family, and our community life. A 1995 study showed that adolescents who regularly spend time interacting with their families were more likely to become light users or, of alcohol or no drink at all. On the other hand, the less time parents hang out with their children, the more likely they would be to be an alcohol problem as teenager in their family. We have come to be in bondage of consumerism and sensationalism that thrives with having more. Remember, I mentioned the more, the addiction of more. And on top of this, of what I just said, is the theology of progress. Have you heard of that? Well, it's not really a theology. It's more of a philosophy of life which permeated every area of our life, including spiritual, religious, and church life. Progress is the road to the new and improved 
promised land. Not heaven, rather here on earth. I remember when I first went to Florida, to Disneyland, and I rode the Carousel of Progress. I don't know how many of you did that, but I did. That was back in 1994. And a line stuck with me all to these days. I thought about it this week. And the line from the Carousel of Progress goes like this. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. And tomorrow, guess what we say? There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. It was fascinating to, to see the progress of technology. The, the philosophy of progress stipulates that at the end of progress, wherever we attain that, we all have peak efficiency, superior productivity, and an elevated standard of living. We will have mastered all nature and its problems. We'll all live in a place and time when we are all well, all diseases cured, and all wars ended. I know it sounds like the biblical heaven, but they're not talking of heaven. They're talking about here on earth. So in our journey of progress... There is no time to rest because we're on a very important mission to go where no species have gone before. And we never rest at all because we need to make progress and we become slaves of progress. Every moment is necessary investment in, the, in, the, in, in this completely unquestioned goal, goal of progress. And in this line of thinking, we feel like what we are building for the future is infinitely more important than whatever we have right now. And that's why we have a lot of people that are discontent and easily irritable. It becomes the eschatology of progress where everything is harvested in the future, some say. And if the promised land of the future is a good and perfect place, then we're, what we have now must be a defective place. What I have now is not enough. Our daily life becomes an obstacle to progress. Maybe even ourselves away in the way, are in the way of progress. And every day we did not reach the progress... It is a bad day. And if we believe that we are in the way of progress, we are bad. This means we work harder, longer, and never ever rest because our main task is to get out of fear. And every time we finally reach the future, every time we reach that tomorrow, it vanishes into the present. I remember a story of a flea market booth where the owner had, you know, advertised. He put a, a banner on the top of his booth right there and says, Today you pay, tomorrow it's free. And you'll come tomorrow thinking, I'm going to get that thing for free. And you'll come to get it, says, No, look at the banner. Today you pay, tomorrow it's free. And so on. You keep coming back. Your future vanishes into the present. And to be honest, 
to some degree, this philosophy of thinking found its way into how we do church as well. I don't know how many of you have sang or at least listened to the hymn, Work for the Night is Coming. It's the same philosophy that found its way into the church context, making you and me believe that the more you work, the more we work, the better we are, and the sooner we get to heaven. As if we tell God when to come. And in the meantime, we don't have time for Sabbath. We don't have time to rest. We don't take time to rest and we don't take time to keep the seven-day Sabbath because we filled it with all types of ministry activities, all kind of outreach work, and we reap the same benefits as the world does. Do they know the Lord? Do they know they have a Savior? Do we take time to know the Lord? Do we take time to commune with the Lord in His holy day? How do we observe Sabbath? Could it be the theology of progress, the desire for more, has found its way into the church and into the Christian's life? See, Satan wants us to be in bondage of anything but the Lord. He doesn't care how He takes us. He doesn't care how He lures us away from spending quality time with God. As long as He distracts us from that to work, to be busy, as long as He makes us believe like the world, believe that the more is better, He is okay. As long as He keeps us away from God and from each other, He's okay. He's got us. My friends... Sabbath is a time of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of consumerism and commercialism and sensationalism and the philosophy of progress. And Sabbath is a Sabbath of freedom of trying to work our salvation also. We cannot work our salvation. This is why the fourth command begins with the word Remember, we got to remember that if we don't stop, we are slaves. We are in bondage. It's significant that the command to observe the Sabbath includes specific instructions to remember that God is our deliverer. That's what makes rest possible. Because otherwise, if we try to control everything, there is no rest. Our ability to cease striving is predicated on the belief that God is in control. If God is our deliverer and sustainer, then maybe we don't have to work ourselves so hard. In his, uh, in his article, Wisdom and Sabbath Rest, Timothy Keller writes this, God ties the Sabbath to freedom from slavery. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. Slave to need for success, slave to materialistic culture, slave to exploitative employers, slave to parental expectations, or slave to all of the above. These slave masters, Keller says, will abuse you if you are not 
disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. In fact, that was the phrase that caught my eye as I was preparing for this sermon. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. And we don't know, we don't have freedom until we are oppressed. That's why I, I, I exposed the reality of our postmodern life to realize that we are in bondage. We are slaves. We are oppressed by what Keller's List says. Anything from exploitative employers to our own unrealistic expectations and desires. Sabbath, my friends, is a time of freedom. As Christians, it's important to recognize that Jesus did not did not do away with the Sabbath. Sometimes we're uncertain about it because he often gets in trouble. <laughs> what seemingly is breaking the Sabbath. However, I think Jesus got in trouble for trying to recover the spirit of the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath and provides food for his disciples on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath day is supposed to be about healing, refreshment, and deliverance. We're going to talk about that in our last sermon of this series in two weeks. Sabbath is supposed to bring healing and restoration. So when we know we're oppressed, when we know we're slaves in bondage, we look forward to what? To freedom. Sabbath, my friends is a time of freedom. And because Sabbath is a time of freedom, the great freedom acts are celebrated and remembered with a memorial. Washington, D.C. has lots of memorials commemorating great acts of freedom. God also has set memorials for us to remind us of His great love to let us know that He never forsake us and to fill the future with certainty and hope. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, through Jeremiah, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. Some of God's memorials are familiar with us, like the cross, the baptism we just had, communion. But the one that we meet every week has become almost forgotten in our society. That's the memorial of Sabbath. Sabbath as symbol of freedom. Let's go back to, we all know, the Exodus story. We all know the story of the Israelites come out, come, coming out of Egypt. They've been in bondage for over 400 years. And at last, God raised Moses to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And this was supposed to be a great redemptive experience. So after confrontation with Pharaoh, after plagues, 
Egypt's Pharaoh finally yields to God's will and lets his people go. They were now free, marching towards the promised land. But the march was not easy. As Israel approached the Red Sea with hills and mountains on each side, with Pharaoh's army in hot pursuit in the back, Israel seemed heading toward disaster. There seemed to be no hope. But God intervened. He parted the sea and the road to freedom was open once again. Children of Israel again experienced God's salvation, God's freedom. But what did God do after this mighty act of salvation? What did God do? He led His people to Mount Sinai and there He gave them Ten Commandments. If law implies bondage, as some Christians seem to think, one logical question needs to be raised. Why would God save the children of Israel from one kind of bondage, that of Pharaoh, and place them in another kind of bondage, that of the law? Makes no sense, right? Perhaps we should pose another question. Does law mean bondage? Look at how the Ten Commandments are introduced. Look at the preface to the Ten Commandments. The Lord Himself says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God gave His law to a people whom he has saved, the people freed from the bondage of Egypt. And they are given a law that will define their future relationship with him. Therefore, Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because having another god would mean forgetting or forsaking the god who saved. And that would be the equivalent of returning back to bondage, to slavery. So the reason God gave the law to a free people is to keep them free and saved as His children. God wanted them to stay in close relationship with Him. And when he, in the Ten Commandments, He said, Thou shalt not. And there are a lot of thou shalt nots in the Ten Commandments. In the negative, because God has already saved His people. And He now lives in a saved relationship with them. And to break any of the commandments would place them in a negative relationship with Him. A return to bondage. The thou shall nots are built on the premise that they have already been saved. Not something that must be done in order to be saved. Unfortunately, the human nature forgets how God has led in the past, right? We have that tendency. We become preoccupied with our present difficulties and tend to forget how God's grace has saved us. And God reminded us. That's why in the fourth commandment, the beginning says, Remember. 
Deuteronomy 5, 6, 12 to 15 is a rewrite, revision of the Ten Commandments as Moses write it in his second law of the book. And there God says, I am the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 5, 6, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verses 12 to 15, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord has, your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, any work. And then he lists who shall do no work. Anybody that is in your house, around your house, so that they all may rest as you do. That's the commandment to keep the Sabbath. What rationale does God give for that commandment? Look at verse 15, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember, therefore. An act of remembrance and an act of obedience are linked in this commandment with the second flowing from the first. First of all, remember the saving act of God's deliverance from sin and bondage. And second, keep the Sabbath which God has given as a memorial of His saving act, as a symbol of freedom. The seventh-day Sabbath portrays God as the great deliverer, the great liberator, the redeemer of those facing temptation and sin. The, the Sabbath day does not point to our accomplishment. Instead, it points to what God has done. Every week, we are to be reminded of God's willingness to be personally involved with our struggles, our salvation, our lives. Every week, He wishes us to recall His promises of strength and friendship. Every week, we are reminded that we are not alone. The Sabbath... It's a time of freedom to remember that we are free. Every week, we are not only reminded that God is alive, but that God takes personal interest and acts for us. So Sabbath is not a day of bondage, but a day of joy and jubilation that we worship a God who is able to save, a God who is able to free us and who fellowships with us, human beings. This is the message of the Sabbath. He is not only alive, He is willing to set us free. Does the world, does the world need to hear this message? Are there cries for understanding? Are there lonely people? Are there people who feel caught in vicious habits, addictions, and temptations? Are there people, groups, searching for their roots because of a feeling of estrangement? Is there a sense of meaninglessness? Is there a sense of despair and discouragement? Oh, yes. And the good news says that we're not left without an answer because someone cares. My friends, Jesus cares. He said, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To take the yoke of Jesus is to be a responsible follower of him, to abide in him and to let him abide in us, to love him, to obey him, to take the Sabbath he has given seriously, to accept that he frees us from bondage and we can celebrate the joy in freedom. The formula is simple. He says, come to me, come to me, Jesus says, come to his cross, accept his forgiveness, accept him as your redeemer. And once that is done, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Be my follower, he says. Do what I have outlined for your life. In the words of Exodus and Deuteronomy, in those passages that we've seen, we've seen earlier, remember and therefore, remember how God has delivered you from bondage. Therefore, keep Sabbath and obey the law of God. God's law promises freedom, not bondage. The Sabbath rest is a time of reconnection, a time of fulfillment. It is a special moment when the created walks with the creator, when the tired and worn find peace in the sustainer, and when the despairing sinner finds comfort in the Redeemer. Remember the Sabbath, the time of your freedom. Amen.